Hello and welcome to All Things Small Business, brought to you by DAU. I'm Ken Karka, DAU Small Business Learning Director. This series is offered as a continuing dialogue between government, industry, and academia on acquisition-related issues that impact small businesses who support the critical defense industrial base. Let's join today's conversation. Welcome to All Things Small Business. I'm your host, Anthony Rotolo, and this is the show where acquisition and small business meet. We bring together business owners, contract experts, policymakers, and stakeholders, and we explore the issues facing small business and acquisition professionals as they work together to overcome challenges in a government and defense context. With me for today's show, I have two guests. They are first Janice Muskoff, who is a member of the Senior Executive Service and leads the Price, Cost, and Finance Directorate in Defense Pricing and Contracting, or DPC. She's responsible for pricing policy and guidance, but also has a passion for helping others in the complex field of contract pricing. And she does this through sharing lessons learned and developing training and tools. Also with us today is Ms. Deborah Kaw. Ms. Kaw is now the Senior Executive for Defense Contract Audit Agency, Operations Directorate, headquartered in Fort Belvoir, Virginia. She strategically leads an operational workforce who provide information system and data analytics support, investigative support services, financial liaison, advisory services, policy on quantitative methods, and Agency Information Systems, or ITS, to over 4,000 auditors and support personnel dispersed throughout 300 offices worldwide. She also oversees the DCAA Small Business Outreach Group, which stood up a robust website for small business to navigate and provide training tools to ease the transition to government contracting. Now, if I may, if I may call you both Janice and Deborah, I want to welcome you both to All Things Small Business. Thank you, Anthony. I am really excited about being part of this podcast today. You know, small businesses are essential to our national and economic security. And this gives me a way to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, how I can be helpful in this particular area as far as small businesses. And so as a member of defense pricing and contracting, one of the things that I am predominantly responsible for is pricing and financing policy. So I don't spend most of my time in the area of small business policy. We've got a contracting policy directorate. And then, of course, we've got our defense acquisition regulation systems directorate that's you know, ultimately responsible for implementing the regulations. So when I think about what can I do from a small business perspective, it's really about looking out for small business equities in terms of what I am doing. And one of the things that I'm responsible for, I'm the lead for the DOD contract finance study. And this is an effort that hasn't happened for quite a few years. It's been many years since the last study was conducted. And so when I was putting together the areas that we needed to go study, and I call them mini studies, I made sure to include small business as part of that. And one of the things that I've been conducting internally has been 
just a review throughout the financing regulations and considering how small businesses fit into those regulations. And then you mentioned that I enjoy training and I put together the Striking the Balance and Pricing series with Dr. Renee Butler. And in conjunction with doing that, I started thinking about, I'm in a pretty complex space when it comes to pricing rules and regulations. And maybe I can start helping demystify pricing regulations for the purpose of small businesses in in order to help them. And so as I was kind of going through that, I started thinking about defense contract audit agency and talking to Deborah Kaw, you know, learning about what they're doing to help small businesses was really impressed. And so I asked Deborah to participate in the podcast with me today so that she can share the great things that DCA is doing to help small businesses. Yes, I'm very excited to have you both. And I love the word demystifying because when we put ourselves in the shoes of these small business owners, it has to be intimidating. They're sort of showing up at the entrance to this, what might feel like a big labyrinth, and they need the Sherpas and the guides to lead them through and let them know of all the wonderful resources. There actually are tremendous resources and helps that do demystify it all. So great word, and it's a great ambition for this episode. Now, Janice, let me just start with a very basic question. The government has kind of a reputation fairly or or unfairly, for being difficult to do business with. Why should small businesses want to do business with the DOD? So, Anthony, I have been working for the Department of Defense for over 30 years. And and I'm going to start with just letting you know that every company that I have ever worked with in the course of my career has taken pride in supporting the warfighter. And so from that perspective, I think working with DOD is a great way for small businesses to firsthand contribute to our national security and support the men and women who keep us safe. Now, I've also got some what I would call practical business reasons for small businesses to do business with the department. And let me start by just talking about the dollars. Because in FY21, the Department of Defense awarded over $80 billion in prime contracts to small businesses. And we hit the small business goal for the eighth consecutive year in a row. And the value that I just gave doesn't even include the opportunities at the subcontract level. So there's a lot of opportunities to working with the Department of Defense. And then... I like to think about this as far as what kind of customer we are. And you mentioned the rules and the regulations. And I think it's important to convey that there is a why behind a lot of this. So just starting at kind of the top in terms of what is one of the most important things that we need to do from, I'll call it a pricing perspective, is we need to compete. And we want our prime contractors competing as well. And if we don't compete, Anthony, we actually have to justify why we don't compete. And that's about having the public interest in mind and keeping trust with the public. And so from a small business perspective, 
what we can offer particularly is we actually have what we call small business set-asides where small businesses are competing with each other. And then when I think about us as the customer, some of these rules and regulations do very much pay off for the companies that we do business with. So when it comes to cash flow, we are subject to the Prompt Payment Act. So what that means is that we have to pay our bills on time from the time we receive a valid invoice, we have to pay within 30 days, or we actually have to pay the prime contractor interest. Now, there's some other things that I could talk about as far as contract types. We have a variety. I won't get into details, although cost type contract is a particular form that can kind of reduce risk on the companies that we're working with and actually place risk on the government when that's appropriate. And I typically talk about the concept of fair and reasonable and what that means. And fair and reasonable is not just, is this a fair price when we're in our sole source negotiations? These are not cutthroat. We're trying to absolutely get the lowest price possible. You know, we don't want to put companies out of business. Fair and reasonable means to both parties. So it's fair and reasonable to the taxpayer, to the warfighter, and it's also fair and reasonable to the companies we're negotiating with. We have an interest in the health of the defense industrial base, and that, of course, includes small businesses as part of that. I love how you began that answer. The The episode I did last month for February for this show was a great example featuring a, a small business who, like you said, was very proud of the fact that they were supporting our warfighters and who was encouraging other small businesses to, hey, just give this a try. Don't Assume it's too hard to work with the government. There's great opportunities. There's great challenges that are very satisfying to know that you're solving. And it's really worth a listen. It, we, we interviewed a company called Learn to Win, and you could just hear the pride in his voice being able to work with the government for the reasons that you cited. And I also like the part of the answer about how there are accountabilities so that we are good customers to small business and that there are incentives and disincentives that keep things on track and that really do benefit and reassure small business. Now, if I had to play devil's advocate a little longer, though, there is a lot. There's kind of a, there is an overhead and a learning curve. So if you were a small business looking at things from a pricing perspective by itself, there are rules and there are requirements to doing business with DOD. I have a little list in front of me. Some of them include the Truth and Negotiations Act, the cost accounting standards, business systems, cost principles, and the concept of government accounting system. I've thrown a lot at you, but how does a small business make sense of all of that? Well, I think that's where Deborah and I can be particularly helpful. So, yes, that is a long list, and it may seem very daunting to small businesses that are listening to our podcast. So I'm going to try to break it down. And I'm going to start with two of the areas you mentioned. One is cost accounting standards, and the other is business systems. So off the top, I would say that these are areas that small businesses generally do not have to worry about. So hopefully, that's a, a good start 
and people can kind of breathe easy. But now I'm going to go into some other areas. So I, I mentioned business systems do not apply, but there is a particular system that does come into play under certain circumstances. And when it comes to the regulations, it's never a one size fits all. And so the accounting system, and sometimes people refer to it as a government accounting system, this is an area where I think Deborah is probably going to spend some time with you today addressing. But what I'm going to say with respect to that is that it does come into being under certain circumstances. For example, cost type contracts, and there's a why behind that. And that why is because the government is taking on, you know, paying for these costs. So what it means is that these costs have to be properly charged to the contract. They have to be allowable and they have to be reasonable. Now, you mentioned cost principles. And again, this is not going to de facto apply to all the acquisitions that a small business may do. But it would come into being from the standpoint of a small business who has a cost type contract. And when I try to break down some of what this means, there's the concept of allowability. And so I think this is an example that most folks can relate to. Alcohol is an unallowable cost. So we're not going to pay for any business, regardless of size, to charge alcohol to a government contract and reimburse them. Now, the cost principles can also come in under other circumstances. So the example that I gave you as far as charging would be considered post-award. There's also in the formation of the contract price and the determination of fair and reasonable. So for example, if a company provides a proposal, and it could be a firm fixed price proposal that it's not subject to the government accounting system requirements unless it has a particular form of financing called progress payments, but we're just negotiating up front. In that example, we would not be paying, say, for the alcohol. And we do cost analysis when an item is subject or service is subject to the Truth and Negotiations Act. And that's an area that gets a lot of attention. And under this statute, the why behind what we call TINA is that we want the government and the contractor to be on equal footing. And so the company has to provide their factual data that could impact the contract price. Now, that doesn't necessarily apply to all small business acquisitions. There's a threshold, Anthony, of $2 million, and then there's some exceptions to when it applies. And two of the very common exceptions are when an item is commercial or when the item is being competed and it generates what we call adequate price competition and there isn't a need to get this full-blown cost proposal and do all of this cost analysis. So hopefully that takes all of those concepts and breaks it down for small businesses just to get a feel for you know, how they could apply to them. Janice, thank you for breaking that down. I think that's going to be very helpful as you, you ran through all those things. The simple example of unallowable costs. Of course, there's a lot more to it. I know that's why 
There is other trainings and seminars and such. But this is probably a good opportunity to shift over to Deborah because I, I want to get into the idea of small business accounting. Yeah, one thing I, I do want to thank Janice for inviting me to speak with this podcast. I am really excited about small business. As you know, the NDAA in 2013 came in and put in more provisions for the small contractor. At that time, DCAA came and we started to take a look at what we could do to help. And so we started putting training modules together. We've done seminars and also podcasts as well to help the small business. And, you know, one thing I just want to say is I want everyone to realize that we're here to help. I know that it can be very daunting when you get a DCA audit, and we want you to take full advantage of our training and our seminars and definitely being able to talk to us one-on-one. So we put a focal point together, and it serves as our program manager, where he goes out and he does his training, and he also partners with the different agencies, the procurement, technical assistance centers, the Small Business Administration, in DIA and those kind of places. But we kind of work together in tandem to make sure that we're opening up those doors for the small business, for them to have that understanding. A lot of times it's just them getting to know who we are and what we do and knowing that we are there for them. So uh, we have built up our website. We have all of the scheduled training ongoing, the ones that are in the past and also the ones that are upcoming. And so I just encourage everyone to kind of get on that website. And if you have any questions, get a hold of my program managers, always willing to uh, speak and talk to you. And I can tell you just in 21, we did over almost 100 seminars and workshops, and we reached out to about 3,000 small businesses. And so we're there to help and definitely, you know, just encourage you guys to uh, talk to us. And if you can't get a hold you know, sometimes you want to talk to the local DCA area, just call a DCA local office and we will be happy to help you and clarify some things for you to make it easier for you to look at those requirements. It sounds like you have quite the presence, including with all the podcasting and and seminars, webinars that you're doing. Now, the timing of this podcast that we're doing today seems timely because you've got an event coming up in April. And I wonder if you can tell us more about some of the topical webinars that you host and which are going to be coming up over the coming months. Yeah. So April 20th, you know, this podcast, first of all, is the kickoff for that. We just didn't want to come out and talk about small business. We want to be able to do those training modules. So the training is going to be more topical. So we'll go over you know, an accounting system. We'll look at some of that criteria, like the indirect, you know, a lot of confusion about setting up an indirect uh, rate structure. We'll talk about contract freeze, incur cost submissions, but we will really get into the accounting system itself. If you look at the standard form 1408, they have those criteria listed there. And what we plan to do is 
by each one of those areas, have a topical conversation and, and have it in a way where you guys can answer, ask questions and we can respond and kind of make it more interactive so that we'd be able to help you through that. And, and right now, what we're seeing is that a lot of the things that small businesses come to us for is really the accounting system and, and just really getting a hold of what it means to uh, have an acceptable accounting system. So we'll break those out. And so uh, I welcome everyone to join in on those different webinars that we will be putting together. Yeah, it sounds very wise that you've kind of chunked the topics that way. Subtopic by subtopic, people can learn about these accounting systems. Now, Deborah, while I have you, and for the purposes of this conversation, what does it mean to have an approved accounting system? Well, you know, an acceptable accounting system is it's required by contractors that are being awarded any type of contract that is cost reimbursable or fixed price incentive contracts or firm fixed price contracts with progress payments. And so that's one of the things that we look at and and those ones that provide for progress payments. So that's the start of it. When we start to look at it, you know, a contracting officer will come along and they will be looking at their information and they'll decide if they have enough in their records or if they need something else. And that's when that accounting system piece comes in. So the initial steps is when they come in and ask the contractor to fill out the standard form 1408 and kind of going through those requirements. After that, DCA is followed up with an audit that goes in and they'll work with uh, the contractor, kind of going over the concerns and things like that. And then, you know, once we complete that audit, then it goes back to the contracting officer who will assess the system as acceptable if there was no issues found. And usually, you know, there's a time frame that the contracting officer provides to us. Um, and normally that process takes about two months. To complete. But again, as we're working with the contractor, we're going back and forth so that, you know, if there's any concerns or if they have questions about what we need as far as books and records and things like that, that we'll be asking for, we'll kind of do that at that time during the audit. So that process spans about 60 days, you're saying. And to achieve that approval, what, what actions would I be taking as a small business to have my accounting system approved? Definitely, you know, as I was saying, the contracting officer is the one who makes that assessment. But there's some things that you can do. First of all, go take a look at that standard form 1408. There's a section in their evaluation checklist that like kind of goes through each one of those criteria. And that'll help you try to better understand how you should set up your system. So that's one thing. The second thing is a plug to say, hey, you know, we have all these seminars, we have all these workshops that kind of go into detail with that, kind of get plugged into one of those. We have them in person, we have them virtual, so they're really accessible for that. And then, as always, as you have any questions, reach out to us so that we can help you through that process. So there is some real proactive things to look at there, but mostly it's just really getting familiar with the standard form 1408. Now, can you explain what is an overhead account? And do you have to have one? Do you have to have multiple overhead accounts? Um, no, there's no requirement to have, you know, multiple indirect rate pools. 
you really want to make it as simplistic as possible. And it's more pertaining to how your particular company is operated. And so if you go into FAR, like FAR 31203C, it will give you some general guidelines about how to set up indirect rates. But also, again, and I can't say this enough, we have a section, a seminar on that as well that talks about the different rate structures and things like that. And uh, in April, when we start our webinars, we'll be talking about, we'll do a section on indirects as well. Now, let's get into some other terminology. There's something called a GAAP, or Generally Accepted Accounting Principles. What is the difference between GAAP and government requirements? Yeah, so good question. Um, So basically, you know, we call it GAAP, and it's a common set of general accepted accounting principles, standards, and procedures that all public companies um, in the U.S. have to follow. Um, and and it's, it's related more to their financial statements. Um, when you start to look at the government requirements, we have other type of criteria and regulations that we have to follow, and that's the FAR and the DFARs. Um, and so the difference is, is that when you get a government contract, you don't only have to follow the general accepted principles, but you have to also look at those contract uh, terms and things like that that relate to the FAR and the DFARs. So um, that's really the main difference uh, when you look at it. It's, it's more related to contract auditing type things. Um, so it brings in the FAR and the DFARs as well. Okay, so the GAP principles are really more of a, a generic set of principles and standards, procedures. The government requirements layer themselves over that. So there is this additional requirement to to follow those. Am I understanding correctly? Yes, you are. Okay. Now, what is the audit process? What does that look like? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, uh, the first thing happens is, you know, that contracting officer makes that determination um, that uh, they need an audit. So they would come to DCAA. um, So say, for instance, uh, you know, we could use an agency like the U.S. Army kind of need something, right? They come to us and uh, we take a look at it and I'll use an example of a pre-award audit. Um, and so the first thing that we would do is we would get in contact with that contractor um, and what we call an entrance conference. So we would let them know that we're going to be starting an audit. Um, we will go over all the particulars that are going to happen in that audit, like say, for instance, the average time that it's going to take We'll talk about the criteria that we're going to be looking at. We'll be looking at the different books and records uh, that they have um, and kind of letting them know these are some of the questions that uh, we're going to be asked and, you know, get any of their uh, concerns and things of that nature at the very beginning. So that that's the, the start of the audit. Um, but throughout the audit, as our auditors are out there working on the information and kind of looking at stuff, there might be things that pop up that we have to, uh, you know, ask more questions. And, and what that's for is so that we have a really good understanding. We don't want to go in there and think that something might be wrong when it's not. And so we really want to work with the contractor throughout that process, getting that good understanding. Um, And then after we kind of complete our field work, 
we have something that's called an exit conference. And, and during that time frame, we are talking about all the things we talked about through all the audits and then letting them know that we're concluding uh, the audit and talking about um, our results, if there was findings or anything like that. Um, and then that uh, concludes that piece of it. We send it over to the contracting officer and depending what it is, um, we will issue it uh, to the requesting uh, official and, um, and then they would make the determination of an acceptable, and I'm using the example of an accounting system audit, they will make that determination from that point. Thank you for breaking that down. And we'll revert back and forth between you and Janice. Janice, my next question for you is about cash flow. Cash flow obviously is like the lifeblood to a small business trying to keep their doors open. It's just totally critical. Does the government do anything to help in this regard? Thank you for that question. This is a critical area for small businesses, and we do recognize that. So there are definitely several things we do to help in this regard. Now, I did mention earlier about the Prompt Payment Act and how we have to timely pay our bills in 30 days. But it's also worth mentioning that we have a goal of 15 days to make, business, or to make payments to small businesses. And another aspect of this for companies, you know, who have maybe a little bit longer period of performance where they need cash flow to help them perform the contract, we have what is called contract financing. And so what we have that's, I think, particularly helpful for small businesses is that the criteria for qualifying for customary contract financing are less stringent for small businesses than they are for their larger counterparts. So for example, if a company is a large business, the dollar value for qualifying for financing has to be $33 million, excuse me, 3 million as far as the contract. But if a company is a small business, we actually go by the simplified acquisition threshold, which would be $250,000. Now, we also have a lesser restriction as far as the time frame between contract award and delivery. So in the case of large businesses, it would be six months between contract award and the time the delivery start. But with small businesses, it would be four months. And then we also can take into consideration financial need. Now, another thing that I think is worth mentioning specific to small businesses is that our customary progress payment rate is actually higher for small businesses than what we have as far as a customary rate for large businesses. Again, you know, recognizing that need for cash flow. And then the other thing that I think is helpful for small businesses to be aware of is that we actually have a clause in place to help facilitate accelerated payments from prime contractors to their small business subcontractors. So I mentioned earlier, we have a 15-day goal. Well, we're also targeting paying large businesses faster as well, you know, so that they then have the ability to accelerate delivery payments to their small business subcontractors. So what I want to finally note here is that through this acceleration of payments to the extent we're able, you know, to both large and small prime contractors, you know, we're really looking to ensure that small businesses at all levels of the supply chain 
you know, are getting the benefit of that. Right. You're, you've covered the, the government. You're covering the prime contractor's responsibility to issue timely payment. And this ensures that these small businesses aren't just kind of hapless and hopeless waiting to get paid. That would be the idea, yes, that, you know, we're giving everybody the means to flow down these payments to small businesses in an accelerated manner. And Janice, what if a prime contractor doesn't pay its small business subcontractor in a timely manner? Is there any help for that small business? So that's an interesting question. And it's really kind of a challenging area because when it comes to subcontractors, the government does not have privity with subcontractors, obviously, whether it's a small business or not. So contracting officers have to, you know, maintain an awareness when they're addressing small business payment concerns due to that. But I do think it's important for small businesses to be aware that we actually do have an area, this is in the federal acquisition regulations, that that can be helpful, I think, in this particular space. It's under uh, FAR Part 32.112. And it talks about non-payment of subcontractors. And so this is actually directed at contracting officers and gives contracting officers guidance. And what it talks about is that if a subcontractor, and say that would include a small business, goes to a contracting officer and asserts that they're not being paid in a timely manner, then the expectation is that the CO should encourage, you know, that contractor who would be making the payments, you know, to make the payments. And they can also consider reducing or suspending progress payments or performance-based payments under the terms of the contract. And uh, another thing that's part of the instructions to the contracting officer is that if that subcontractor asks the contracting officer if the prime has been paid, then the contracting officer should let the subcontractor know whether or not the prime has been paid. And the other thing that I think is worth mentioning, there is the concept of a small business subcontracting plan. Now it's not applicable across the board, but when it does apply, In the small business subcontracting plan, it does require assurances from the prime contractor that they will not prohibit a subcontractor for discussing with the contracting officer material matters, which would include payment. So I think those are some things that are just good for small businesses to be aware of if they're not performing as a prime contractor, you know, they may not be quite as familiar as you know, what some of the regulations look like. So that would be, you know, something I think they could, you know, consider doing. And then, you know, in the other thing that I should, I think I should mention, you know, just expanding on this a little bit, that if the small business is concerned that the government is not paying them in a timely manner, that uh, we would encourage through FAR Part 32.9, for that small business to actually go contact the local small business specialist if they need to raise an issue and have somebody, you know, give them some assistance. So those are a few things that I think can be helpful. 
That should be very reassuring to small businesses, knowing that there's accountability and incentive to make sure that not just government is paying its bills on time, but that the prime contractor is also and that they're not just getting kind of kind of lost down the supply chain and and, you know, have have no ability or mechanism to ensure the cash flow that they need. Now, are there any resources that you think would be beneficial to small businesses? Actually, yes, I do think there are a number of resources and and I'm going to I think I want to tackle this from a couple of perspectives, starting off with, you know, the idea at the big picture, you know, in the office of the Secretary of Defense, we do have the small business program that's led by Farouk Misa. His website is great as far as providing, you know, resources for folks. You know, I've been hanging out with Ken a little bit and learning about the P-Tax and uh, really impressive in terms of what the procurement technical assistance centers do to help out small businesses. I think that's on the must-have list. One thing that uh, I think is helpful to small businesses, if they're wanting to learn more about acquisition contracts, there's a really neat tool on the DAU website. And it's uh, called the DAU Contracting Subway Map. And I think it just really helps break down the process. So I'm a fan of that. And then, of course, you know, DCAA, I think Deborah has already demonstrated what a fabulous resource DCAA is through their small business program and how much they want to help small businesses. And then DCMA, we can't leave them out. They've got, you know, if you go to the DCMA, Defense Contract Management Agency website, they've got resources on there for small businesses. And then when I think about my pricing space, I I do want to share that one of my go-tos over the years has been the contract pricing reference guides and great place for small businesses to kind of learn about pricing. And uh, there is, of course, our own defense pricing and contracting website. There's a lot of good resources there. Small businesses can access uh, the DFARS itself. It's always kept current on that. There's also the Striking the Balance series that I've been conducting with Dr. Butler at DAU. All of our training has been recorded and can be accessed by small businesses. And the final thing that I would kind of like to leave for small businesses from a resource standpoint are my go-tos when it comes to the federal acquisition regulations. So very quickly, there's FAR Part 12, which talks about commercial. FAR Part 15, which really gets into contract pricing. FAR Part 16, for companies that want to learn about contract types. FAR Part 31, going back to the uh, cost principles that were mentioned earlier, and then FAR Part 32 in terms of contract financing. So I, I know that was a lot, Anthony, but uh, hopefully that will be of uh, use to the uh, listeners that are uh, participating in this. No, that's very helpful. There's an abundance of resources for small businesses, and I thank you for giving us the rundown. I think as small businesses see what's before them, they know that they're not left alone to figure it out by themselves. Well, this has been very, very helpful. I, th- I think you've both succeeded in in sort of demystifying 
DPC and DCAA with respect to small businesses. This is going to help small businesses navigate the whole landscape of doing business with the DOD. Janice, Deborah, do you have any closing thoughts, uh, anything on your mind as we close out? Well, I want to say thank you for the opportunity to do this today because it's so important to get the word out to small businesses that we do want to do business with them. We want to work with them. We want to simplify things for them. And uh, I know I gave you a list of resources earlier, but there's one that I really do need to add. I was kind of concentrating, you know, in my pricing space, but really the Federal Acquisition FAR Part 19 is definitely probably the first place that small businesses should go to as, you know, they want to learn about what the regulations look like in their particular area. So just want to thank you. And I also want to thank Deborah personally as well for uh, taking the time to do this with me today. And we've got this upcoming training on April 20th. And again, very grateful to Deborah for putting that on with me and looking forward to that. And just want to encourage everybody to continue with us as we want to demystify our pricing-related regulations, accounting system regulations for small businesses. Outstanding. And Deborah, any parting thoughts? Yeah, I I definitely um, have really enjoyed uh, talking about small business. And I thank you, uh, Janice, again, uh, for inviting me. Um, And I just want to say, I know when people come around and they say, hey, DCA is doing an audit, it can be scary. Um, I want you guys to know that we are here to help. Um, We have built up our, you know, small business directorate. uh, So just for the sole purpose of having... Um, you know, tools and mechanisms for you to navigate. And um, we don't want you to feel like you can't come to us and can't ask questions. Um, you always hear that word as um, us being independent, and definitely we are independent, but we are technical, and we have that technical knowledge to help you navigate through. And, you know, it means so much to me when I think about small businesses, you know, and I think about what it does for our economy as far as innovation and competitiveness. Um, It helps us to continue to grow. And so DCAA is leaning forward. Uh, We wanna make sure that you know um, that uh, we're here for you. Um, And please, you know, uh, just continue to reach out. Um, Even if you make a phone call, um, you know, we have a line for you to call for inquiries. Um, We're trying to have everything opened up as far as virtual, in-person, all these different avenues so that you can get uh, the help that you're needed. Um, And, you know, and I can't say enough about the webinars that are coming out um, in April. Um, Please attend those, you know, and if you have any thoughts um, about some things that you want us to kind of present, uh, let that be known as well. Um, And so we will take a look at that. But appreciate so much. And Anthony, appreciate you. Um, you know, doing this podcast uh, for us. Um, But I really thank you guys a lot. And I just want you to know again, and it's another plug, uh, that DCAA is here to help. Thank you. Well, thank you. My guests have been Janice Muskoff of DPC and Deborah Kaw 
of DCAA. And special thanks also to Ken Karkuff, our producer, who makes all of these conversations possible. I want to thank everyone for a great conversation today. This is Ken Karkoff once more. I want to thank our guests for participating in today's conversation. Your insights and perspectives will surely help our listeners. And an invitation to our listeners, if you'd like to participate as a guest in a future conversation, please reach out to me at kenneth.karkoff at dau.edu. Till next time, stay engaged and collaborate across your networks. Everyone's talents and skills are needed within the defense industrial base as we fulfill the national defense strategy together.